In today's episode, we are celebrating our 100-episode milestone by assigning superlatives to some of our favorite episodes. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Katie, what is happening? We made it to 100 episodes. How are you feeling? I'm so proud of hitting this milestone, and I'm really excited to recap some of our favorite episodes in this this episode of Flip the Switch. Uh, for everybody that has listened to this, and you might have heard Katie on this, I do want to give Katie a, a massive shout out. She is really a big jack of all trades on our team. She does client work and, and leads a lot of client relationships for us. But she also jumps in and produces and edits every single podcast episode. Uh, so she is an all-around beast. And I, and that's, I'm, I, I got to give some credit. We hit 100 episodes. You've edited like half of these episodes. So I, I got to give you a shout out for that. Well, thank you. It, is, it has been fun. It is something that has opened my eyes to a lot of different perspectives. It's taught me skills that I never thought that I would ever need or have. Um, but also it's given me a lot of different insights to a lot of different areas that I don't think I would have had if I wasn't involved in this. So credit to you for starting the show and giving that, giving us this platform. That's how I feel about the show. So, so let's jump in. So we're going to do superlatives today. Like we're back in high school. Um, and, and we're going to start off with, uh, one that is a good way to start the show. Let's start with what was your most fun episode and like, what, what was the qualifications for putting it in there? The most fun episode to me is ones that have a lot of creativity to them. So naturally, I'm going to jump to Jesse Cole. Some of the things that, um, first of all, of course, he showed up in his yellow tux. So how could you not, you know, find it fun to be sitting with someone who's in a full-blown yellow tux and yellow top hat? But at the same point in time, I loved the amount of fun that he shared from his team into that episode. Things like they celebrate failures by giving out a burnt chicken award. Um, so they got a really terrible review at one point. It actually changed their entire operation for how they prepared food and beverage. Um, but they celebrate the bad things that happen or the things that are maybe not as fan first with a burnt chicken award. Um, the fact that they don't call their brainstorm sessions, brainstorm sessions or think tanks, it's an idea palooza. So to be able to put that kind of fun into the work, he then brought that fun into the episode. Yeah, that, that honestly, that episode was fun for me recording it. And that was early on. So if you're looking for that episode and you're trying to find it, you haven't heard it. That was probably... We had two. Jesse's one of the few repeats. I was actually texting with him the other day. He's going to come on again this year. I was like, when, when's your yearly appearance coming? Because uh, he's got a book coming out in May. But um, so that episode, I do remember it early on. And I was like... I've been following Jesse on, well, I mean, I think I'm going to give more backstory and Katie's going to give more info on the clips. That's how I have a feeling this episode is going to go. So backstory behind that one, I was really kind of like on Twitter and LinkedIn and I, I had seen Jesse and I had followed him. I'm like, this guy's got some unique takes. Let's have him on the show. But I didn't unique know if he takes. was for real. That's one way to put it. I, well, I didn't know if he was for real or if it was just kind of like a shtick. And, and we got on the podcast and I was like, this guy's for real. Oh, they yeah. like for real do these crazy things. And like it is actually impactful. Uh and it was it was just a great learning for me coming early on, coming out of my Disney days where everything is 
at least in the parks, right? I know Disney gets a rep for being super innovative, but sometimes in the parks, it can be, it's an operation, right? So we're focused on operational excellence. So we're focused on consistency. We're focused on driving things. So, so sometimes it does, some of the fun does get taken out of it. Um, and they, they, trust me, they do a better job than most corporations, if if not 99% of corporations in terms of making things fun. But there is still that level of operational excellence that takes away from the idea paloozas and whatnot. Right. Uh, so I, I, I learned that brought like a lot of my fun kid play out of me, that episode. Um, if you're if you want to go back and check it out, it's early episodes. I don't know what number it is. I don't know what number any of these episodes are. But it's early on in the show. I think first so was 14 back. and then we had another one around 50. When we talked to him about his Thanksgiving day. You would know the episode numbers. I would. Uh, um, all right. Uh, I would say most fun for me. Uh, I'm going to say Ra- Rachel Jacobson from Drone Racing League. Um, I It was just an episode that was like so. I mean, one, she's incredible. But her her spirit and her laughter. She came into the episode like just totally. I don't know how this works. Are we doing this right? And like, she came into the episode, like almost in tears, laughing, just trying to get the system set up. And it set the tone for the whole episode where, even though we were talking about really serious things, like how drone racing league has become agile and how they partner with corporations and how they segment their fan demos. We were talking about really serious things, but we were laughing the entire time. And it was just, I walked away with one of the, from the episode, like, genuinely with my spirits lifted ready ready for the day yes i mean the the way that she infused her personality into the episode was and also how she talked about how that personality then goes into the entire corporation i mean they work hard but they play hard and they have a lot of fun and i mean just the way that she can tackle getting things done i loved listening to her talk about you know we're gonna take we're gonna find something we're gonna go after it i just remember her talking about finding that their fans were interested in betting. And in 51 days later, they had a relationship with DraftKings. It's, they, they move quick over there. And again, I think... I, Fastest I mean, my the speed big of drones was one of her lines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I do remember my takeaway, my impression from that episode was I was like, man, traditional stick and ball sports and leagues and teams that take six months to make a decision, they're screwed. Because mm-hmm. you've got other entertainment options like Drone Racing League that are up and coming that they're moving quick. I mean, finding out that your employees are interested in betting and the, or not your employees, your 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 fans are interested in uh, betting and then partnering with DraftKings that that much quick that quick in fifty days like that would never happen on a big no. big team. Um, so uh, all right, cool. Covered most fun. What's next for live on the list? We've hit most fun. So how about the one that taught us the most? Which one taught you the most? One that taught me the most. Uh, let's see. Why don't you go first on that? I give have to give it to you, Peter Sorkoff. I think that is the one. So there were times where I was making show notes in the background and taking notes of things. And I think I had three pages of notes from that episode. There were so many different things from his perspective of understanding the subconscious and the emotions of fans and why that drives some of their decisions. Um, you know, some things where it could be perceived as being manipulative um, in terms of we talked about um, the Emporium and how the windows are lower so that kids can see the toys in the window. And it, it's not being manipulative. It's being kind to the customer. And 
allowing the customer, the kids who are the ones that are going to be most excited about some of the things in there, it's on their level. Um, so that was one thing that really stood out to me from that episode. The other one was just really set our mindset, I think, on being relational as opposed to being transactional. I think it's something that we always talked about, but this was one that really gave some concrete examples to it that nobody goes to a baseball game because upper level tickets are $15. It's because it meets one of their three needs as a fan. And how do you tap into those things more? Yeah, Pete, anytime, Peter's definitely a guy that you talk to and you're like, what are these concepts? I need a dictionary to listen to, to hear, to actually decipher and translate what you're saying. Um, anytime you talk to him, he, he's on, he's on another level of just like intelligence. Um, yeah, his feature of went right over my head, but um, the, the rest of the episode. I was, lo- I was loving that part, but I was like, how the heck am I going to tie this back to sports entertainment? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I would say the episode for me that I learned the most, honestly, any conversation that I have with Nick Lawson. So Nick Lawson, this was an early episode on sponsorship, um, but it was just really unique to me on his organization's approach to sponsorship and just talking about how digital marketing today works. Now, some of that has slightly changed. I mean, that that space around digital marketing and cost of Facebook ads and all that, that, that's changing on a regular basis. So some of that information in there has been updated and, and changed. Um, but in that episode, I mean, his approach to just how teams could be looking at digital marketing and sponsorship, talking about the shift from going from that, that a CMO at a big organization would have of, hey, yeah, sure, I want the suite with the ribbon boards going to, well, how is this actually driving me numbers? And can you prove to me that by sponsoring your organization for $100,000, $50,000 is going to drive 4X ROI. And the reality is traditionally, we can't say that. We can just say, yeah, this many eyeballs looked at it. And we can guess that of those this many eyeballs, of, of those 100 eyeballs, three of them are going to buy your car. But that's not good enough anymore when on digital, you can quite literally track the exact transactions and get all the contact email for those people, retarget them with more ads, and it's 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 just incredible when you actually sit down and talk with a digital marketing expert, you realize, wow, the game has totally changed from a sponsorship and marketing perspective. And so I, I think I learned technically the most in that episode because it was just he went deep. Yeah. So that 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 to me, I think, was uh, probably where I learned the most. What And what episode was that? Do you, do you have that? I mean, it's like early. Go back and check it out, people. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll too. have all these linked. Perfect. Um. All right, let's do most nervous. What episode were you the most nervous going into? Um, now, you, you, were, you haven't been here for all of them, but you've been no, here I for haven't been here for all of them. Sixty of them. Um, um, but but what episode were you most nervous for? I think the one of the ones I was most nervous for was Scott O'Neill. It's just somebody that is legendary in the space and had had been on a number of other podcasts prior to this. His new book had just come out. Be where your feet are. And I wanted to make sure that that one was one that we got something different out of. And I think we did. Um, but it was just one that felt like I prepared a lot for that one compared to some of the others. And for people that are listening that don't know who Scott O'Neill is or haven't listened to the episode, Katie, I mean, you said he's legendary in the space. His titles kind of give a, give a little of his background. Yeah. Um, he had been, I think, president of Madison Square Garden. So working with the New York Knicks, he was president of Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment. So 
worked with the Devils and the Sixers and um, had really made an impact on all of those organizations, which was evident based on how many people shared his book, talked about his book and what they learned from it. Um, so really powerful and the impact that and the legacy that he left in the in the uh, sports world. Yeah, I mean, he's still he's got ownership stake in Elevate, right? I mean, right. He, he's he's been he's he's definitely a legend in the space. So having him on was one of the biggest names we've had on for sure. Um, oddly enough, that was not my most nervous. Uh, my I would say I there's two that I that were most nervous. Both were related to big names. And um uh, you actually, have I'm a lot gonna, more I'm pressure because get... you actually have to ask the questions. I'm just sitting here in the background. That's fair. That's fair. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get three because I'm gonna I want to give a little bit of backstory on one of them. Um three that I was most nervous for. One was Quint Studer, for sure. Uh Quint Studer, we probably did in like the twenties, thirties. Um he if you don't know who Quint Studer is, legend in the customer experience space. Uh, sold his customer experience consulting company for hundreds of millions of dollars in the healthcare world. It's called the Studer Group. Uh, and and so he has just, and it was more the, the patient experience is kind of what he focused on. Um, but he owns a minor league baseball team. So we really made a lot of the ties between patient experience and what that's like in the healthcare industry. Motions are high, right? Um, and margin of error is slim to the sports space and how he take, took what he learned from patient experience and has applied it to his baseball team in the minor leagues. And there were just a lot of really interesting learnings there. But going into that, I knew who Quint was for years and had followed his work. Uh, and, and we had worked with them. I had competed with them in RFPs back when I was at Disney. And so to have him on there, I was like, oh man, like this is, this is pretty cool. Not to mention yeah. we were recording and he was at a lake. So I'm like, oh, is the <laughs> Wi-Fi going to go out? Like, how are we going to have to record this again? And you just hate doing that as an interviewer. You want it to go smooth the first time. It's the um, things that people don't see as to when an episode is finally put together, all the work that goes on behind the scenes to make it all all happen. Uh, for sure. Uh, all right. So that was one. Uh, what else was I most nervous for? I was definitely nervous for Jared Spataro. So he's the EVP of Microsoft Teams. In my mind, that is the biggest name that we've had on here. Maybe not the biggest name, but most important. I mean, he reports directly to the CEO of Microsoft. He oversees all of Microsoft Office worldwide and Microsoft's endeavors around creating the future of work. So for me, it was like, that's, that's, that is a guy that is truly driving the future of organizations and how we work digitally and how we work going forward. So to me, that was like, I was pretty nervous going on that show, making or going on that episode, making sure it was like valuable for him as well. Well, that was when we pulled from one of our fireside chats, right? Yeah, we turned, we turned, well, yeah, I mean, it was, we invited him to this fireside chat. I'm like, I got all these leaders in sports on the, <laughs> on the show. And I'm like, hopefully people show up to this thing because I just told him that we, we put him in front of a bunch of leaders and sure enough, people showed out. Um, so it was great. You got a good uh, number. The, the, the last one I would say I was nervous for. I was nervous for Lee Cockrell because I was running late and I'm like, I'm running late to this episode that we have just like an all time legendary Disney leader. I know he's going to say something about it. Sure enough, he did. And uh, cause he was on like 10 minutes early, earlier yes. than any other guest. He, he has a window up at Disney for time management. I'm showing up to our episode like five minutes <laughs> late. Great. Classic. So anyway, those were, uh, those are my most nervous. But what did you learn the most from those? What did I learn the most from those episodes? Um, 
Because you wouldn't have been nervous if you didn't know that they were going to be impactful. Yeah, okay, for sure. Um, So I think biggest takeaway from Lee Cockrell was around kind of the newsletter, just communication, how like and all the things that he did at Disney, right? All the all the money that he managed, all the park improvements that he made. All he wanted to talk about was culture and how he treated his people and how how they uh, how he developed his people. And to me, that when you think about legacy, right? Like focus on the things that are really important as a leader today, because you're gonna look back at your legacy and say, "Man, I should have done." xyz right think about your legacy today and it was pretty evident that lee did that uh, so that was like a unique spin yeah i mean for him to take um, the time to write the main street diary every single week and and make sure that his cast members and operating participants felt like they were part of his organization despite how big it was i think the other thing that i really took away from that one was just how much he involved his team um i think he talked about they had a 400 million dollar budget cut after 9 11 and but they couldn't cut any staff in order to make up for that deficit but he turned to the bartenders and the housekeeping and said where can you save a dollar for us and they were able to make that cut because every single person came up with uh, you know every single area came up with a some solution that could be a cost-saving benefit to disney on on a similar note which points to your i mean that's one of the areas where i feel like i learned the most as well is him tapping into his nurses to say hey i want you to I want you to be able to do this faster, this one activity faster, your your rounds faster. And they're like, well, we can't, we're doing this, this, this. And so he challenged them, well, how how could we do that? And they found the process that was just slowing them down, this one tedious thing, and they cut it out and it saved them all, you know, 20 minutes a day or whatever it was. Um, and so that that's that was one of those examples that to me, like listening to your people mm-hmm. can make your organization more effective and efficient. You just have to ask the right questions and empower them to actually do something about those things that they're telling you. Yeah, I mean, I think of something simple as like blood pressure cuffs. They needed six extra blood pressure cuffs and it would save the nurse, each nurse, 30 minutes per day. I mean, when you talk about cost, uh, cost savings in your organization, sometimes you do have to spend a little money, but look at the long-term impact, 30 minutes a day per nurse, how much more you can get done in that amount of time. Incredible. Um, did I have one more? Oh, and, uh, Jared Sutara, you asked what I learned about that one. Uh, for me, the biggest takeaway on that one, uh, there was a specific thing that he said about using Microsoft teams where he said, while using Microsoft teams, they're working on technology that will auto transcribe every meeting and call out people's action items and notes in it using AI. And when you start thinking about the future of work and infusing technology into the workspace. For me, I'm like, do you know how much time that we're talking about hours, uh, uh, like hours and hours. That's, we're talking about full-time role that you're basically eliminating with technology and allowing us to be able to free up that time. Like that's incredible with something like that. And, and so when you start thinking about the possibilities of what are our goals, what's slowing us down, what are the friction points in our employee experience? And then you start saying, okay, well, how, how might we replace those? Whether it's with blood cuffs, or blood pressure cuffs, blood blood pressure cuffs, <laughs> or with uh, AI to say technology. The kicks in. I know blood pressure cuffs or AI technology, like whatever it might be. Right, there are all kinds of ways to make your employee experience better if you're focused on finding the friction points. Well, so you started talking about the future of work, which I think is a perfect segue into our next category, most underrated episode. Um, I think you have Steph Smith listed here who came on to talk about remote work and the future of work and something that she still talks about to this day. I think she was really ahead of kind of the remote work 
best practices, but what were your big takeaways from that episode? All right. I have comments on this episode. <laughs> I, I could go on a diatribe on this episode. So for, for those listening, for some reason, it is one of our least listened to episodes. I don't know why. If you have not listened to the episode, do yourself a favor and go listen to it. It was one of my favorite episodes and it just didn't get the play. Um, so Steph is the head of tr uh, an organization called Trends. Uh, actually, I don't know if she's actually fully in that role now, uh, but she works for The Hustle, uh, which was acquired by HubSpot. Uh, and Trends is the kind of premium content project or product. So they're constantly diving into Google Analytics, finding what people are searching for, then creating business ideas based around those. Really cool organization and, and really cool content that 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 her group creates. So she's just got all this unique insight into consumer behavior, what people are looking for, but she's worked remotely for like the last 10 years. And so she, uh, and, and done that from like Bangladesh and all over the world. So with that being said, she just has so many unique principles and heuristics for employee experience and for driving culture. So to me, like one of the biggest things that stood out for me, this was like a, a single line that really stood out was this concept of hiring givers versus takers and a way to evaluate that by asking um, how, how, like, I, th I think the exact question was something along the lines of in your interview process, putting people through this and saying, uh, tell me about three people whose career that you've impacted the most. And a giver will say people that are underneath them, people that they've helped place in new jobs, people that have underneath them been and gotten promoted higher to them that they've worked for at some point, right? That's what a giver answer would say. And you want givers in your organization because they're going to help out on other projects. They're going to jump in. They're going to be a team player. But what you want to avoid is a taker who would say something along the lines of when you, when you ask the question, how many, tell me, tell me three people that you've impacted their career. They're going to say, they're going to try to name drop. They're going to try to give bigger people's names that are in the organization, their bosses or whatnot. Because they're, they're in it for the clout, they're in it to climb, they're in it to do the different things. And, and so when you think about, especially in today's world where collaboration is key, where you can't always tell what people are doing in the office because it's hybrid, uh, you need more givers and, than takers. And so that line and, and framework, I mean, that has changed how I hire, how we interview and, and, and everything. So yeah, go listen to that episode. That was my most underrated episode. The yours? other thing I love about that one, too, is talking about how to help your manager best manage you. So um, Steph has a personal manual that her template is online. You can go and she's like, go ahead and rip it. Go ahead and add your spin to this. But it's like, these are some of the things that I want you to know about me that would help you better, better lead me and how I can better understand than your style, too. But I mean, it's something as simple as like favorite food with soup, like, you know, just something that I think when it all, com all comes back to, you know, showing appreciation for your staff, like if your manager knows your favorite food is soup, they can get you soup for lunch one day, or they get you a Panera gift card for knowing that that was probably going to be used towards soup. That um, I think some of those kinds of things of like helping your manager figure out how to manage you is really powerful. Well, yeah. And she's episode like, 50 51 for those episode you, 50 uh, it was a good that was a good exactly milestone 50. one too yeah i remember that nice my memory hasn't failed me yet um all right cool uh well let's go into uh or did you have a different underrated episode no i think that one that one is one for me too all 
All right. That perfect. we reference uh, a lot. All right. Most personal connection or like special episode for you? Um, most personal. Um, I think I can, I can give my, I, I can give my say, you, you've you got a, you've got a little bit more personal connections to some of these than me. All right, cool. Uh, my, like my, like most special personal connection one, we did two episodes with my dad right around the time of when sports started kicking back up at ESPN wide world of sports. And my dad ran ESPN wide world of sports for 20 years. Uh, he was the longest tenured executive there, uh, ever. I think he was there 20 years. Um, so that episode was just really interesting. One, because it was timely because sports were coming back and they were all being played, you know, NBA, MLS were all being played down at Disney. Um, but two, it was just really interesting getting to hear him from that perspective, getting to hear some of the personal stories behind the scenes at work that I maybe didn't understand at the time or hadn't heard before. Um, that was just a really special episode for me getting to interview my dad. I think um, the one that we did with Ron Temple and Rick Jones, so part of our sister company, Fishbait Solutions, and it was really interesting to hear some of the backstories. Um, Rob had just been um, appointed CEO of Fishbait Solutions, an organization that Rick had led for a while. Rick was moving into the chief creative officer role, and it was really uh, powerful to hear the relationship, how long that they've been working together behind the scenes for that to come together. Um, but just some of the stories about things that Rob had been able to do in his life with ESPN and working in sponsorship prior to joining Fishbait, I think was really powerful for me. Perfect. Um, all right, let's jump into, uh, let's do, you know, some single, single lines uh, or statements, frameworks that have really impacted you the most. Um, so I, my, my first one is going to be with, uh, Nick Sautner. So the reason I came across him was because he had just won an award for, um, an experience. So they created stadium glamping, um, and it is S T A Y D I U M glamping. And so they created these domes that you could stay in, in the stadium. You use the locker room. They worked with all their corporate sponsors like Samsung to be able to outfit these. So they basically created an Airbnb space in the stadium to create this once in a lifetime experience. Um, and so that was the reason why we brought him on the show. But one of the things that we learned throughout the process is he has this incredible quote that said, people describe stadiums as cathedrals of the 21st century but I think of them more like town halls. They should be somewhere that local residents can use and engage with all year round, not huge spaces that are locked down after a match day. And for organizations who are sitting there going, we've got this huge structure that we use for seven Saturdays in the fall, eight if we're lucky, how else do we maximize this building? And there are so many different ideas from the Powerade G9 golf simulation that they do versus they use their parking lot as community spaces. There were so many different ideas as to how to better build a community. And that's exactly what they did. They built a community um, with the neighborhood around the stadium, which is how they've been able to add new experiences like concerts this year. That episode was fantastic. And in more context, Mitch Stadium was the first stadium in the world to open back up post-pandemic in New Zealand. Um, so that was just like a really cool, uh, you know, first, uh, if you will, kind of accolade to add to the show. Um, but I, I totally agree. I mean, that, that whole concept to me, 
it's something that it was very validating, I guess, because we've been talking about that for a while because we run into issues all the time where you're working, you're working with a team, you're working with a stadium, you're trying, we're, we're trying to recommend certain customer experience upgrades and certain strategies, but it's limited because the infrastructure is not there. And, and quite honestly, it doesn't make sense to invest in the infrastructure because they're only doing seven events a year there. And, and so when you think about it from that perspective, if you can make your cathedral a town hall of the community, you can justify spending a lot more money because you're going to have more opportunities to drive revenue. And ultimately, the fan wins, the, the community members win at the end of the day when you're doing that. And, and it's just a totally different way of looking at stadiums and arenas than the way that we looked about them 20 years ago. And we saw some teams get really creative during the pandemic. Like we've talked about Quint's minor league team. I know the Pensacola Wahoos turned their stadium into an Airbnb. You saw a lot of other places that are like, hey, you need somewhere other than your kitchen table to work, come rent out a suite. And we're turning all of our suites into personal offices. Um, you now can work work at home plate. So those were some of the things that I think the sports industry really learned during the pandemic, but would love to see continued, even though sports are back. Yeah, the tough thing for me is like, I, I don't know how many P&Ls have been run around that where like for people that were doing innovative things like that and then just stopped. And it's like, well, what if you just hired, were you making enough money to be able to hire somebody to start continue doing that full time? Or like right. you're just, you don't want to put extra stress on your current people because events are back. And it's like, okay, well, maybe making the next there. I don't know. Everybody's different. You'd have to look at the actual p and um, All right. Uh, we got any other ones? Any other good single lines? I've got a couple. So I'll try, to, I'll try to run through them rapid fire. Um, so there was one with Stephen Van Bellingham that he talked about um, what would Joy do? And this stood out to me because of the Disney, obviously. So looking at Disney's Inside Out, he said, our brain is programmed that we have four negative emotions. So fear, anger, sadness, and disgust are all negative emotions that we have, but we have only one Joy. And so Joy has to work so much harder to overcompensate for the four negative emotions. And so anytime that you're facing something negative, thinking along the lines of what would Joy do? How can you overcome that? But just understanding the fact that that's one of the reasons why you hear so many complaints is that we have more negative emotions and we have positive emotions and the positive has to work so much harder. Um, that was a great line by Steven. And what, what episode was Steven like uh, in the hierarchy if people are going back to search for that episode? Uh, I think that one was in the 60s. In the 60s, yeah. And, and, and if you haven't listened to that episode, it's all kind of about like the future of CX uh, and, and what innovation could be driving to help us connect with customers better. But he, he had a lot of interesting frameworks and heuristics in that episode. Um, so the other two, um, um, Barry yeah. Jacobson, absolutely loved his episode. For someone who worked in premium service, so he had worked for a lot of the higher end areas of Disney, fairy tale weddings, conventions, um, had managed the Disney's Golden Oak community, had also helped with Legends with the Cowboy Stadium the first year the AT&T Stadium opened. Um, but one thing that I really liked about the episode is that he said premium service doesn't always require a premium price, just personalized efforts. So something as simple as there was a lady who was always complaining that her toast was cold. So he moved her table next to an outlet and they put the toaster at her table. That does not cost you any money. And you have somebody who is extremely happy that she has hot toast to eat for breakfast. And he said, there's no other way that you could have done that. Like, it doesn't matter how quickly you put a lid on it. You can't blame the kitchen. Toast gets cold. 
So you're just going to make it hot at the table. Um, you know, they had somebody else that really liked crab legs. They got those brought over from Disney's Yacht and Beach Club, but they personalized the bib. And it was a $7 bib as opposed to the 30 cent plastic one. Um, but that really had an impact. It was $7. You know, so when you think about the things that you have to do to deliver premium service, it doesn't always require a premium price. That episode was great because hopefully that episode to me showed other people that, yes, Disney has tons of money. Everyone still has a budget at Disney. Yes. And so people were still expected to drive like these great customer experiences. And oftentimes the way to do that is with personalization, right? Make somebody feel like you just created that moment for them and actually create that moment just for them. You don't, that can scale if you're not, there, there are ways that that can scale. And Barry highlighted a number of stories on how to make that scale. Um, and, and that was what was like really powerful for me. And my final one. So we had Shep Hyken, who is a chief amazement officer, runs his own customer experience um, consulting group um, and talked about the shortest customer service speech he ever gave. So he was at a um at a conference and his time was supposed to be 45 minutes. Well, the guy in front of him kept running longer and longer and longer. And they're like, you have to be done at this time. And so by the time this, the guy in front of him finished, he had two minutes and he said, you know what? I'm going to stick to my two minutes. Just be nice. Um, and as we're recording this today is national random acts of kindness day. And then to me, what I think is powerful is that customer service can just be random acts of kindness. Like you don't have to put together this humongous plan. It just starts with doing one nice thing for one customer. Um, Dan Genghis had a show the other, yesterday that he was another guest of ours, hit his 100th episode, and he had 21 people that came on to tell their favorite customer experience story. They were not profound. All oh, these were the whole programs that companies put in place. It was things that those companies did for one person. And they were on a show talking about it. So I think that's one thing to think about with customer experience is that you don't have to go and create this whole program. It helps, but just understanding that it starts with one. Awesome. Awesome. Um, all right. We've got a couple more questions. We're running a little long here. Uh, so let's let's speed it and, and hit through it. Um, I guess piece of advice that really sticks with you, we kind of covered that in some of these lines. But any, any other pieces of advice that really stick with you? Uh, I actually, the, the way I framed the question, everybody on, on the Google Doc that Katie and I share was, what's the piece of advice that really sticks with you that you don't do? Um, and I, I mean, maybe we stick with that. Let's stick with that. So I would say the one for me, we had uh, Troy Dannon, who is the AD at Tulane, is one of our college leaders. And one of the things that he talked about is if he is driving in the car, he drives in silence and he just scenario plans. And he was talking about how he had driven to a lake somewhere um, in the Midwest and it was a 15 hour drive from New Orleans and he drove in silence. And to me, like I can't go more than 15 minutes with in working in complete silence. I always have some background music on, even if it's instrumental, I have something on. I don't know how you could sit for 15 hours and be, be in your own thoughts. Uh, I can't be in my own thoughts that long. I don't know about you. But that one to me is just one that I will never, ever be able to implement. I'm impressed, but I it's, will never be able to implement. 
it's funny because that is a piece of advice that also sticks with me. I was driving the other day and I was like, maybe I should just turn the music off and be like Troy and just like contemplate on, on this day. Um, but I didn't. I put it on a podcast at double speed and just blaze through. Of course. And then the, the other piece of advice that really sticks with me that I don't do, we're going to throw it back to Jesse Cole. So Jesse has instilled this habit in himself and in all of his, uh, all of his employees where everybody kind of starts the day off by writing a thank you card could be to a fan, could be to another employee, could be to a personal friend, uh, but it's always starting the morning with gratitude with a thank you card. I went out and bought a bunch of engagement thank you letters so because I, I was like, man, that's a great habit. I'm all about gratitude. Like, let's do it. I think I've written like five or six and I always like, I got them sitting on the corner of my desk and I wake up in the morning and I'm like, ah, I got to go work on that project I was trying to finish. And I never get to those dang thank you cards, but one day I will incorporate that in. All right. So I think to wrap us, we should talk about the episode that we referenced the most because we have not hit on that one yet. And that one has to be Zoe Skamen. That is the one that we reference more often than any other episode. So why is it that that one stands out to you the most? What number episode was that? Just so people have it. 57. 57. Yeah, it was a good stretch of episodes right there in the 50s. Um, yeah, it's hands down my favorite episode. Um, in the last two years, I would say she's probably been the most influential thought leader for me in terms of how I think about things and how I think about engaging customers. What does that look like in the future with Web3 and NFTs? I mean, like, I doubt that I'm getting, I would, I would have gotten into NFTs to the extent of which I'm into it now and, and we're into it. Um, if it weren't for her constant tweets and her coming on the episode. Um, so th- there, there are a few things about that episode specifically that stamped that stood out to me. Um, one of those was just how she thinks about engaging fans and expanding the circle of fans based on tangential uh, interests. So thinking about it as if you're an NBA, if you haven't listened to this episode, you absolutely should go listen to it, but I'll give you a little preview of some of the things she talks about. So for an NBA fan looking at, okay, for one interest that a lot of NBA fans have might be sneakers. So how can we start making more sneaker specific content to pull in other sneaker heads that might not be a fan of the NBA right now, right? Or so, so you're not you're not going off base and just like totally picking something random like interior design and saying, okay, as the MBA, how can we create more interior design content? You want to take something that is already a core interest of your fans, but then you want to go directly target that type of content and start making that type of content to pull in everybody else that's in that content that isn't necessarily a fan of your organization. So that was one concept specifically that really stood out to me. I know you had a few as well. Yeah, I mean, the way she redefined fandom for me, I I think in the sports world, we often think of your diehard fans as the ones who, and not to take away from their loyalty to your organization, but it's not just the ones who show up to all seven Saturdays in the fall and attend your games. Um, the way that she broke down and the analogy with Marvel, it's they're participative. And so they'll come, they'll watch the game, and that's it. Well, then you have ones who are actively interested and they're the ones that are buying the merch and buying all of the other products that help um, promote your brand. And then it's ones who get really into 
um, sharing stories or talking about the relationships that they have formed in slot, you know, conversations with student athletes after games and autograph sessions. And they're helping to build the brand of the student athletes as well. I think those are some of the things that to look at your fandom a little bit differently. And it's not just the ones who have their face painted um, and come decked out in a costume to your games uh, per se. Um, they don't, it, it really changed my perspective on what a fan is and what fandom is. Yeah. That, that episode is chock full of good stuff. A lot of things that you're also probably going to have to look up. I had more show notes. I added more links to that show notes than I think any other episode that we've done. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. Go follow her on Twitter, uh, at Zoe Skamen, S C A M A N. Uh, I, I think, it will really change your ideas and perspective about where customer experience and fandom is going in the future and what your organization can do about it. Um, yeah. Anything else? Any other ways we want to wrap up here? I, I think we've covered all of our favorite episodes. I think we've hit on a lot of the ways that it is influenced the way it makes us think. And hopefully it has had the same impact on all of our listeners that there's something that you can take away and apply to your organization every single day because it has for us. Um, so if there's topics you want us to hit on, let us know. We'll find the guest. All right. On that note, if you've made it this far, I guess we can give you a sneak preview of episodes coming up. Um, Katie, what episode are you most excited about that is scheduled and on the books? Um, so I am excited. I know you're excited about this one. We just recorded one with John Rossman and I am so pumped for that one to come out. I, again, it's another one where, you know, I was taking pages of notes on the side and there are so many different insights from that one, but I won't steal your thunder. I know that one's your favorite. So. Yeah. What the heck? You stole mine. That was, that was, uh, he he just has written one of my all-time favorite books. Uh, I think it's an episode that's chock full of information for you. You're not going to want to miss that episode. But uh, any other ones that are on the books though, that are awesome? Um, so one of the articles that we've been highlighting from The Great Resignation was about an organization indebted that moved to a four-day, 32-hour work week and how they've made it work on a global scale. Um, so we have the CEO, Josh Foreman, who is going to come on. And I am really excited about that one to figure out um, how they went through the whole process. They piloted the whole program and recently implemented it. And I can't wait to figure out how somebody who has actually gone through the four-day work week is making it work. Love it. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to 100 episodes. We're so glad that we are, we're continuing to do the show. I mean, can't do it without y'all's support, without uh, y'all continuing to tuning in, listening, sharing with your friends. So from the bottom of both Katie and I's heart, thank you so much for, for tuning in and we look forward to a hundred more.